was put into a concentration camp during World War II. And he actually suffered unimaginable horrors at the hands of the Jews. He eventually um, got out of the concentration camps and he wrote a book and the name of the book is The Happiest Man on Earth. He became 101 years old and I would like to share an anecdote of um, Abraham and he said, I've lived for a century and I know what it is to stare evil in the face. I've seen the very worst in mankind, the horrors of the death camps, the Nazi efforts to exterminate my life and the lives of my people. But now I consider myself the happiest man on earth. Through all of my years, I've learned this. Life can be beautiful if you make it beautiful. I will tell you my story. It's a sad one in parts with great darkness and great sorrow. But it is a happy story in the end. Because happiness is something we can choose. And then he says, love is the best medicine. So from this worldwide horror story, I want to tell another story. And I would like to bring it closer to home. And in South Africa in George, there's an NGO with the name of Life Community Services. And what they do is they touch the lives of orphaned and unprivileged children with the love of Jesus. So what they do is they ask God to, through them, change the lives of kids, but with love. They're asking the Lord's love in their hearts and in their hands. And then if I can tell you a third story to bring it even closer to home, I was privileged and blessed to have the most amazing mum. She was gentle and kind, and um, she never said any negative word to me in her whole life. She was loving and amazing, but then she got Alzheimer's. And in Afrikaans, we have a word, um, and the word is vernil. So Alzheimer's um, killed her at the end, and the American Society for Psychology said that it is a, a cruel monster in the shadows. And when I couldn't get my head around this, I prayed a lot about it and I read a lot about it. One day I actually read an article in a daily newspaper, and it built, it was years ago. And a woman who had the same story wrote this letter, and she said that um, the medical society said that there's no cure for Alzheimer's. But she said there is one remedy, and this is 1 Corinthians 13. And then I took that, and you know what my mum didn't know I, who I was, she didn't know who she was, but she could feel the love. So the three stories, the aim of the three stories is to say to you that the one thing whereby we can change memories and the past and today and even how we see the future is love. And the Lord has given this to us. So I would like to start at the beginning, the theme is holy love. So the beginning is where does this start? So the word is holy. So holy in Greek means to be set apart, to be dedicated for a sacred purpose, um, to be separated, to be dedicated to everything holy. 
So if you would like to be an instrument of God, if you would like to experience holy love, you make a choice. And you, through that choice, say that I'm abandoning myself for one purpose, so that God can be God through me. And love is agapai. That is the word in Greek. And agapai means to choose, to prefer. So if you prefer God, and you say, God, can I please have your holiness working through me? Can I be set apart? Can I be dedicated so that you can be God through me? Then you prefer him, and then you prefer other people. Then you prefer the, the person next, next to you. So then it's growing out of God's love. You then actually love other people. So where does it start? It starts with our loving Father God. And there's a lovely word in Hebrew. The word is racham. And racham means like a mother for a baby in the womb. And this is how the Lord says to us in Psalms, this is how he loves us. So he has abundant love. He loves us so much that he gave his son for each and every one of us. So that love, that holy love, um, is available to us. We, we just ask him. We just say, Lord, can you please work through us? Can you give us of your holy love so that we can live on earth as you would like us to live? So St. Augustine said, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance. And that is, actually, um, that is actually hard work, but it's so easy. It's to take that one step into that embrace of God and just accept him, accept all his love. And this is your starting point or our starting point. I want to share a scripture with you in 1 Peter 4 verse 8. It says, above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. So today I would like to um, share with you 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm first of all going to read it from the Amplified Bible. It will be on the screen. And then I would like to ask you to journey with me today through five of these verses. Um, where we actually learn how, how the Lord wants us to love. So love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind. It's thoughtful. It's not jealous or envious. Love doesn't brag. It's not proud or arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not provoked, nor overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes. It believes all things, looking for the best in each one. Hopes all things. So it's remaining steadfast during difficult times. Endures all things without weakening. Love never fails. It never fades nor ends. So today I took five verses and um, each of these verses I looked at different translations. 
So um, sometimes we see a translation such as love is patient, and then we actually don't know what is, what is the depth of the word in Aramaic or in Greek. Um, and this is what I've tried to do today. I looked at the Amplified Bible, the, which, which is giving you the Greek. Then I looked at the Passion Translation, where you get the Aramaic. That's the language that the Lord spoke, our Lord Jesus. Then I also looked at the Message, which is a very ordinary day-to-day -day translation. So what I want to do before I'm starting with this, I want us to pray. And I would like to ask Lord Jesus to show you in your heart today what he wants to change. Because I was so challenged when I prepared this, um, this um, sermon of today. Everything that I read, I thought, Lord, I, I'm, not, I can't, I'm, I'm not patient. I'm not everything that I've read. I've just asked him, can you just wash me clean from whatever came in my life that, I'm not, that I don't love as you would love me to do? And, and this is what I would like to ask. I want to pray so that the Lord Jesus shows you where he would like to touch you, where he would like to touch your heart, your eyes, to be able to love holy. So let's pray first. Lord Jesus, I bring all five verses to you today, and I ask that your Holy Spirit will in our heart do a new thing that we realize and that we experience how you would like us to love. And then we ask your Spirit to help us. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, I'm going to start with 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. I'm first of all going to read it to you in these different translations. Love is large. It's not this large. It endures long. It never gives up. Love is incredibly patient, even in difficult relationships. Love cares more for others than for self. Love is gentle. It's consistently kind to all. Love is never envious, refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not want what it doesn't have. It's not pride or puffed up or arrogant. Love does not brag. So from this scripture, I'm going to take out four words that I would like to discuss today. And the first one is patience, to be patient. So the word in Greek is macrothemio. Macro between b mean long, it's macro, it's a lot, and themio is your temper. So the word long-suffering in English comes from this, this word. It means that you have a long temper, not a short temper. You know, sometimes we say somebody's got a short fuse, but it, it, the, the Lord says if you love, then you've got a long temper. The Hebrew word actually to me is lovely. It says you've got a long breath. And um, what's nice about that is that whenever you, you are anxious or you're fearful, we say you've got a short breath. And look how different it is. If you've got patience, you don't get anxious. You don't, don't get fearful. There's a lovely scripture in Ephesians 4 verse 2. It says, with tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness 
and generous love, especially to those who may try your patience. The definition of patience is also to wait. And then in that place to wait, also to bear your cross. To bear your cross. It's not easy to do it. Sometimes you have to be patient in very difficult situations. So I just thought, how do we react if we're standing in a queue in the bank or in pick and pay? Are we patient? Do we get cross? How do we talk to the lady behind the counter when we've been in that row? And then if you're in traffic, and, and you have to stand dead quiet for, for um, such a long time. How do we react? What do we do? And the, the, the important thing is how do you react to the people in the car with you and also to other people? All those signs and all those anger that come out. And then also if somebody else makes a mistake, how patient are you? So years ago, my husband and I did a course um, for growing, uh, the course's name was Growing Kids God's Way. And there was an example that the person used, and he said, there was a guy, um, and his son, he had a little son, and his son was three years old, so and he opened the, the fridge, and from the door was a glass bottle, and it fell uh, from the inside of the door, and it broke into pieces, and everything was all over the um, kitchen floor, and they had guests, and he, he just immediately lost his patience, and he, he screamed, and he was so um, angry, and he said to me, always breaking stuff, and he, uh, all of that, and there was a whole commotion, and then about two weeks later, uh, from then later on, he actually opened the door, and um, the same thing happened to him, and he said, yes, this is just an accident. So, so we have different ways in looking at, at people when they're making mistakes, are you patient? Do you love in, in, in situations like that? Um, the second word is kind, the word kindness. And the definition for kindness is gentleness, is a caring and a tender heart. Um, so, so I think this is one of the most difficult things to ask because it's easy to be kind to people close to you, but it's more difficult to look at peop people with kindness when they're far from you. So, so do you have kind eyes? Do you like look at people with a kind heart? This is what the Lord actually wants us to do. So how do you speak about people? How do you talk to people? And then how critical are you? Um, I think one of the most difficult things is, is when somebody criticizes you, um, when you're on that end of, of criticism. And this is the one thing that if you're kind, you correct, yes, but that, that um, spirit of criticism um, is no longer there. Then I would like to say something about jealousy. Um, there's a preacher with the name of R.T. Kendall, and he wrote a book about jealousy. And he said that almost all of us um, are actually prone to jealousy. And how you know it is when there's an uneasiness in yourself when something good happens to somebody else. When somebody has success, or when they're rich, or when they're beautiful, or when they fit, everything that you would like to be. And there's a difference between envy and jealousy. So envy is if you covet what somebody else has, and jealousy is if you fear you will lose what you have. 
And the Lord actually says here, it's never envious. It refuses to be jealous. So in the Bible, there are numerous examples of jealousy, like Cain and Abel, Joseph's brothers, the Lord and Lucifer. And one that's actually to me is, was quite an um, eye-opener is, is Saul and David. So in 1 Samuel 18 verse 9, it says, Saul kept a jealous eye. So it was always David's friend, and then he started to be jealous of David. In, in James 3 verse 14, the Lord actually says that envy and jealousy is unspiritual and demonic. So the idea is to say to the Lord Jesus, if I have this in my heart, if I see that I'm not always glad for somebody else, can you remove this? Can you give me so much love that I love somebody so much that I'm glad with what they're getting, with where they are? I read an interesting um, example, and they said that love is actually at eye level. So if you're a farmer, you're not jealous of Mid-South Africa because you don't, wouldn't necessarily would like what she has, but you're jealous uh, to, to what another farmer has. If you want a red Ferrari, you don't mind if somebody has a good job in the post office, you actually <laughs> would like that red Ferrari. And this is how it works. It's very personal. Those things in our heart... Uh, in our hearts that nobody actually knows of. And jealousy is something like that. People actually don't know about jealousy. Only you. It's only you that would know that. Um, the last thing that I would like to um, talk about is pride. And I must tell you, I, I've read a lot about it. I've worked um, quite a number of sermons through bef before this specific one about pride. And um, the definition of pride is a sense of deep pleasure or satisfaction on your own achievements or qualities. And um, they say the motive is to be honored, to be the best. And then the fruit is that you become independent. You think that you are actually um, the one that's responsible for everything. You forget about God. And examples in the Bible is, for example, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, when, when that moment in Daniel 4 when he said, it's, this kingdom is all because of me, that exact moment the Lord said, but I'm going to punish you. And he lost his senses, and he had to eat grass. So pride is actually um, also a personal thing. It's you who know it. It's, uh, it's actually only you. And there's a scripture in Proverbs 3, verse 7, it said, don't be wise in your own eyes. So, so I actually want to ask Jesus that, that this is verse 4. That in your heart, you just ask him, Lord, show me, what of these things are there that I can't love as I should? And I'm just going to give you one moment to do that now. All right, we're moving on to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. And I'm going to read this to you as well at, from all these different translations. Love does not traffic in shame or disrespect. Love is not rude. It's not unmannerly. It does not fly off the handle. Love, and that's God love in us, 
does not insist on its own rights or its own way. It's not self-seeking. Love isn't always me first. Love is not touchy. Love is not fretful. It's not resentful. It's not easily irritated or overly sensitive. It doesn't have sharp edges or quick to take offense. Love takes no account of the evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. And the two that I would like to talk about today, the first one is anger and the second one is offense. Um, I've recently done a, a Bible study of Kanan Ministries and um, in that Bible study, one of the main things that I've learned is that anger is a secondary emotion. It's not, it's not a primary emotion. And to use an example, on a car's dashboard, if there's a red light flashing, that light goes on, it's flagging that something else is wrong in that car. So if you get angry, it's a red light flashing on the dashboard of your heart. And you've got two choices. You are the same, Lord, I'm, I'm, plug I'm plugging this fuse, so I, I'm living over this, I'm, I'm just going to move on. Or you're saying, Lord, this is a flag, and I'm going to see where this comes from. Why do I have anger? What happened in my life? Or why am I irritated like this? And get to the root of the problem. So years ago, I read a book, I think I've, I've told this story, I've read a book about a pastor who had a very bad history and a very um, bad life. His dad was, um, was abusing him thoroughly, or a, a lot, <laughs> and um, he, um, he actually ended up being part of gangs, and then he went to alcohol, and then he went to drugs. And while he was in America, in a desert, he actually said to the Lord, he's overdosing because he doesn't want to live anymore. But if the Lord is there, will he save his life? And at that moment, in that desert, the Lord came down and experienced the total love of the Lord, and he gave his heart to Jesus. At that moment, he was totally delivered from drugs. He got up um, from, from the soil that he was, was lying in, and he, he went straight back, and he started to study. And he studied to become a pastor. And he, his life turned completely. It was a miracle that he was totally delivered from, from um, drugs. So he started and he had this amazing church and this church grew and he was filled with the Spirit and oh, it was just the Lord's um, um, uh, Spirit was just on him. He married and he got two kids and then they moved to Australia to start a new church in Australia. And he said one day, he was actually sitting um, um, on his stoop and his son was passing by and his son did something small, three years old, and he did something that he actually, that made him cross and he got up and he just kicked him. He kicked him from the funny reelinki off, funny eilinki off. And he said when his son was lying there, he realized that it's more difficult to get rid of anger than of drugs. So the Lord says that if you love, you're slow to anger. You're not rude. You're not unmannerly. It does not fly off the handle. Um, and there, there's quite a lot of things there, because when we're angry, say things that we regret later on. We slander with our tongue, uh, we explode. Um, sometimes we make a mountain of a molehill. And then also irritations and, and resentfulness. So I have a story to tell. Um, the name of my business is Communication Excellence. 
and um, I, I've got this thing that you've, it's not perfectionism, but you've got to try to do the best you can. So I worked on a project, and then it's, things went wrong. And there was somebody working for me um, on this project, and she actually made a mistake. Things went wrong, and there was in Afrikaans on the ground. And I was so irritated. I was just like irritated. And, um, and then I was actually not kind to her at all. And that evening I said to the Lord, but why am I so irritated? What, what is this? Why is this? Why was this such a big thing to me? And I started to read about irritation. And irritation, the root of that is that you wanted your way. That's all it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a very simple, selfish thing. And then I realized, and that's why I started with the, with, uh, the name of my company. I realized, but I wanted it to be excellent. And it was actually all about me. I didn't want the pop up the grond. You know, I wanted it to be excellent. And, and then I realized, the moment you get irritated, if you can just say, Lord, but why, what is this now? It's me. It's all about me. It's, it's, I don't want to make a mistake. I, don't want, I, I want things to be excellent. And in the process, you ruin a relationship. So actually, I could go back and say, I'm sorry. She's in our church, so by the way. Um, <laughs> makes it more difficult, eh? All right, and then offense. Um, so offense is that um, very difficult thing that is actually called the bait of Satan. So John Bevere wrote a book about the bait of Satan, and he said that offense is a trap or a snare. That is the word in Greek, it's skandalon. It's a trap or a snare. It's like a trap stick that the enemy uses. And he has got it like this, and there's bait, and it brings it right to you. And you decide whether you take that bait. So um, the enemy wants actually to, to use people to offend you so that you are not in the place that he would, would like you to be in, that he can't use you. So if you are offended, you feel wronged. You feel you were treated unfairly. And annoyance is also offense. Sometimes in many cases, you just imagine it. So there are so many times that, that I've been in a, as a third person in a relationship situation and where I could honestly see that, that somebody felt offended, but this person didn't at all know it or meant it. It's something that you imagine. This person imagines it. It really did. It's really not like that. So, so you have got to know that the, one of the biggest, biggest traps and snares that the enemy has is offense. And this is something that, that the Lord says, if you love, you're not easily offended. And then you don't bite that, that snare. In the Aramaic, it says, love does not stare at evil. I would um, like you to have a look at this, the anger and the offense, perhaps even some of the others, like isn't always me first, the touchiness. And I'm going to give you one minute to pray about this as well. Right. The next one is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. Um, the translation here says, Love does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, 
but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love does not delight in evil. It celebrates, uh, celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. And then it does not gloat about other people's sins. So the whole thing is that we don't rejoice when somebody else falls into error with his friend or enemy. And one example in the Bible is actually where Simon Peter has cut that ear of Malchus, that, that slave, that soldier that came to Jesus, and then he thought he's doing the right thing, and he cut off his ear, and what did the Lord say? No, no, you don't take it in your own hand. The next one, um, because I'm going to ask you to pray about both of them, the next one is 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7, um, and I'm going to read through this. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It's a safe place of shelter, like life community, for it never stops believing the best for others. It always protects, it never loses faith, and never gives up. It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And I want to say something about bears up. The word in Greek is roof. So it means it's like, um, it's like a roof, it's like a covering. It conceals, it shelters. Um, it, it is a safe space, so it doesn't expose. And this is something that that's actually very close to home. This is what you do with the people you love. You cover them. You cover them with, with your love. You don't expose them. You don't talk about them. Um, it must be safe. That love of you must be safe. It must be safe shelter. And the other meaning of, of um, love bears up, the bears up, is not to notice or not to revenge. So if somebody made a mistake or if there's a fault or somebody doesn't um, act as you would like them to act then you bear it up and love bears it up then you say I don't continuously refer back to it I don't I don't revenge it um, the trusts and the hopes and the perseveres is also amazing words if you look at all of this the the, the actually the trusts is to give others the benefit of the doubt and that is the opposite of cynicism. Um, and also, how do you view people? If you, if you trust, if you just trust, then it means there's no distrust. Then it means it, love removes the burden of, of checking whether you can actually um, trust people, of catching them out. So if, if your eyes are, but somebody is going to to do something wrong to me, then, then your whole li life is one of distrust. And the Lord says, if you love, then you trust. Then also the perseveres, and this is specifically in suffering, to know that if you love, and this is the story of, of Abraham Jakobovich, is that love could get him through all the suffering. Um, these uh, lovely stories... Uh, of people went through suffering and love enabled them to cope with it. So I'm going to give to ask you to pray about in your own life 
1 Corinthians 13 verse 6 and 7 then. Ask the Lord to show you what he would like to change in your heart, where you need him more. Alright, the last two, 1 Corinthians Corinthians 13 verse 8, love never fails, it never fades out or comes to an end, it never stops loving and it never dies. So the background for this scripture is that the Corinthians actually had an exaggerated estimate of the value of the gifts of prophecy and tongues. So to them it was on a higher level than love and and um, faith. So this is why the sentence is specifically in here, because at the end you will see in verse 9, uh, verse 13, is this is all that's actually at the end standing. And I would like to take you to verse 13. This is then the end of the section. So it ends off by saying, and so faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. In the Passion Translation, it says, So above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. And then the last one. To me, this is just beautiful. I've studied it and I've memorized it. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. And love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. So what this scripture is saying, that this should be our passionate pursuit. We should run for the price of love in our life. Um, And then I just summarized it on the last slide. So I would like to challenge you. What I did when I had to prepare for this, and I always say to Amu, this is the thing of preaching. When When you preach about something, you've got to go through it yourself. You've got to taste it before you can talk about it. And I I actually asked the Lord of each of these ones to show me and to help me. And when I I realized I'm just failing the tests miserably, I asked him, but can he he taught me his love? Can he give me his love? So that I can love like he wants me to. So I'm going to just go with you through a summary. Love is patient. It's unselfish. It's kind at all times. It's generous, not envious. It's humble, not self-promoting. It's never rude. It does not hate. It does not manipulate by using shame. It's not irritable or easily offended. It celebrates honesty. It veneers. Veneers veneer is a lachy. It veneers. It covers. It shelters always. It never stops loving until the end. And then I would like to leave you with the last um, verse. It's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly, and the best of the three is love. All right, I would like to just pray for us before um, before we close. Lord Jesus, 
today we realize that we need you more than ever before to be able to live a life of love. And I ask you that you will equip us with, with lots and lots and extra extravagant love from you. That you fill us up and that we become an instrument for you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, so I would like to challenge you um, to perhaps take one of these ten that talk to you, that's spoken to you, that Lord spoke to you, and try this week to do that. If it's patient, um, try to do that. Patience in traffic, <laughs> in queues. And if it's envy or jealousy, try to take one. And, and even you might even try to do that for 10 days. I just want to share testimony with you. We, um, um, our family celebrated what we call Lent. It's just before the crucifixion. And we did our own. We only did two weeks, not 40 days. And we fasted. But as part of that, um, I wrote a devotion for our family for every day. And um, my kids were in as well. And we asked the Lord to show us. And it's amazing that if you, if you decide like for a week to say, Lord, this, this week I'm going to love you more. I'm going to ask you to teach me to love others more. What the Lord actually does. The attacks of the enemy are definitely <laughs> also there. But it's amazing what the Lord does. It's amazing how he, in this two weeks, just, uh, just uh, shifted a lot of things in our heads as well about his crucifixion and his love for us. And if you take that, how you actually, how heaven comes to earth. So I want to challenge you, perhaps you do one day, perhaps seven, perhaps ten of these principles in 1 Corinthians. And then I'm going to give you a few moments of real quiet time with the Lord. Um, just spending some time with him about his love, about experiencing his love. Perhaps you need to really feel his love. Perhaps there's somebody in your life that you need, that you need to love more. Um, and then afterwards, if there's anybody who would, um, would like some prayer, would like um, some of the counselors to pray with you, you can please come to the front. Mm -hmm.